2019 has been an absolutely exceptional year, both personally and professionally. But what really blows me away is how far our wonderful world of Linux has advanced in just the last 12 months. So sit back, grab yourself a nice beverage, and come along with me as I revisit 12 months of Linux learning and discoveries. Episode 21 of Linux for Everyone starts right now. Hello, this is Tanner Crook listening to Linux for Everyone from Wyoming in the U.S., Welcome home. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Linux for Everyone, the podcast about desktop Linux, open source software, and the people creating and enjoying it. This is part one of a special double episode looking back at my own personal 12 months of Linux discoveries and and learning. It had not actually dawned on me. It, It hadn't made the impact on me how much I've enjoyed using Linux this year, how much I have discovered and covered and learned until I actually went back through my Forbes archives for 2019 and just saw how much was happening in a a single month. And a lot of that was just news and and reviews, but there's also a good chunk of it there that, that is me just kind of reporting on my journey so far. Before we kick this thing off, I want to invite you to share your favorite Linux discovery of 2019. This can be just something you stumbled across, you know, like a great new app or or terminal command, or it can be something that you learned to do with Linux in 2019. I've set up a thread over on the Destination Linux Network community forum, and uh, sound off there, share it with the community. If you want to make your feedback on this really special and be included in an upcoming episode, uh, I'd also like to invite you to record kind of an audio version of that comment. You can send it in any audio format you want, and the email address for that is linuxforeveryone at pm.me. I'll play a few of my favorites on an upcoming episode. Right now, though, let's do the discovery of the week. If you are subscribed to the Linux for Everyone YouTube channel, you may have already seen me talk about a little app called Lollipop that is at about the 12-minute mark in a video called Elementary Unfiltered. I've got a time-stamped link on the show notes for this episode in case you want to jump right to that. But I'm going to do it here also because I want to share Lollipop with as many people as possible. First, I want to thank friend of the show, Dark One LTG, for turning me on to this software because it has really changed the way that I interact with and enjoy my music library. Said music library, by the way, is, is roughly 112 gigabytes of just MP3s and flax that I ripped from an enormous CD collection of mine. And fortunately, I did that before I moved to Croatia because that thing would have probably taken up like half of my suitcase. I bring this up because Lollipop can handle a large music library. So if that matters to you, if you find value in that, I would strongly recommend you at least checking this out, giving it a test drive. 
If you watch the video that I'm linking in this episode or just search for the Lollipop app, you'll probably see why I like it so much from a visual point of view. It's just really clean. It has a lot of nice categories. Uh, It has a, at the top of the app, it has this suggestions tab where every day it will recommend a featured album from your library. It'll recommend some artists from your library. And then it'll also recommend a certain genre. So when I first fired it up, it recommended symphonic heavy metal. And I was like, all right, some Apocalyptica, maybe some Nightwish. So right off the bat, it was it was helping me rediscover some music that I hadn't listened to in a while. What really hooked me in, though, was its ability to add custom album art really, really easily. So a lot of my albums, they have like 200 by 200 resolution album covers. And, you know, in this age of of high resolution screens, it looks pretty terrible. All you have to do with Lollipop is just click on that album cover and it will instantly go out and search the web from places like uh, Wikipedia and startpage.com and suggest a bunch of alternate album covers, and it will also list the resolution of each album cover. You simply click the one you want, it updates your file, and you're done. As you guys know, I'm on Elementary OS right now, and I did check out their uh, built-in music app, and it's nice. It's, it's a bit like an older version of iTunes, and it has things like Smart Playlists, which is a very awesome feature to have. But it just couldn't handle the, the large quantity of files that I had. It didn't go out and automatically retrieve album covers, um, and you'd have to use an additional app like Picard to, uh, to be able to actually edit the metadata in your music files. But getting back to Lollipop, uh, if you go into the settings and you enable network access, you can even hit the search tab and search for just about any artist under the sun. And it will go and pull results from the web, and you can play them straight away, right from inside Lollipop, and even add those to your music library. It's not going to pull them down, but it will stream them. And so it's kind of got some really rudimentary Spotify or Pandora-esque features built into there as well. Lollipop was built with the GNOME desktop environment in mind, but I'm using the Flatpak version, and of course Elementary uses the Pantheon desktop and it looks great. There's a dark mode. I haven't noticed any weird um, artifacts or, or oddities in the presentation. So if you have a large music library, if you want to kind of rediscover maybe some old gems or or just have an easy way to update your album art, Lollipop is for you. Thanks again to Dark One LTG for recommending this. I, I This is one of my favorite apps of this entire year. I'll have a link, of course, to Lollipop in the show notes at Linux, the number four, everyone.com. Happy holidays, all. This is Mike Dominic from The Mad Botter. Um, Thank you, Jason, for letting me share this message. So at The Mad Botter, we're running a little contest for U.S.-based high school students. Basically, the deal is you can write any piece of FOSS software you like, and we're going to pick one winner who's going to win a completely free System76 Pop! OS Thaleo on us. Completely free. The only terms and conditions are you have to be a U.S.-based high school student. Um, that can be any kind of high school, private, public. And for more information, go to themadbotter.com. Good luck to you all and have a happy holiday.
All right, everybody, let's kick off part one of the 12 months of Linux discovery. So I'm going to take you back all the way to January 2019. I am still a a fresh-faced Linux noob. Well, I mean, to be truthful, I still feel like a a fresh-faced Linux noob. But at the time, I'd only been using Linux for about six months. I was distro hopping like mad. I was absorbing all the information that I possibly could as fast as possible. But you know, I really wanted to to slow down a little bit and and start taking my time, start kind of savoring the Linux distributions that I was trying. So in January 2019, I introduced the Elementary OS5 Linux Community Challenge. And this was as much a challenge to the community and my readers as it was to myself. I wanted to really take a deep dive with the various distributions that I was checking out and exploring, and I also wanted to share both praise and and criticisms of of that distribution. Truthfully, this was also a way to force myself into just using that one distribution for an entire month. And one of the hooks is that I would be using it for the first time as well. We'd be kind of taking that journey together as a community. This was all very important to me on a, on a few different levels. January is when I first got into Telegram and created a uh, elementary OS challenge Telegram group for everyone who was taking this ride. And aside from Twitter, it was, it was my first real-time constant interaction with the Linux community. And I think that's when I really, really started appreciating just how helpful and generous and awesome this community is. And even though it would take about 12 months for elementary OS to actually stick, it was really refreshing to see what they were doing with this distribution, who they were targeting, and and how they were developing these curated apps and giving uh, giving software developers the freedom to charge money and make a little bit of an income and also distribute that software across all other platforms. I personally enjoyed the challenge of, of feeling a little bit restricted and a little bit confined by the lack of customization and and being sort of corralled into using the, the workflow that the elementary OS developers envisioned. So anyway, the, the elementary OS challenge was a great experiment, and it led to several others, something that I wanted to continue every month, but it just, it honestly became a lot of work. It's one thing to check out a distro for a few days, but it's, it's quite another to devote yourself completely to that distro for a month and use it for everything, because then it's, it's kind of hard to cover the rest of the Linux world, you know? And January is also when I felt like my community was really starting to engage and grow and and blossom. Honorable mention for that month, however, goes to Pine64 because that's when they announced the $199 Pinebook Pro, which I unfortunately have not had a chance to experience firsthand yet. I'm going to try to remedy that one of these days. So that was January 2019. In February, my inner critic really came out to play. Uh, I wrote an article at Forbes called Six Months with Linux, The Ugly Truth About Gaming Without Windows. And in it, I argued that gaming on Linux is better than it's ever been, but it's never up to date. And that was informed primarily by my experience in the Ubuntu ecosystem. 
So in February, I wrote, the problem isn't the availability of games. The problem is the complete fragmentation and confusion when it comes to graphics drivers. So at the time, I was on Ubuntu 18.10. And I, you know, I pointed out that, sure, Ubuntu users can just go to software and updates and then click on additional drivers, and you'll see an option to install that NVIDIA driver meta package, which at the time was version 3.9.0. You select it, you click apply, and then you're no longer using the open source Nouveau driver, and you've got a much more accelerated graphics driver for AAA gaming. So all my criticism revolved around the fact that this whole driver puzzle is not common knowledge to new or even possibly to existing Linux users. You know, at the time, maybe they wanted to check out this whole cool Steam Proton thing and start playing their favorite Windows games on Linux, except that Valve listed the graphics driver requirement as NVIDIA 415, which was several months newer than what Ubuntu was offering, NVIDIA 390. Now, to get that, gamers had to add a PPA, right? A software repository that's not built into Ubuntu. And, well, will that have the right driver? How would they know without extensive searching? Is that going to update automatically and as often as NVIDIA's Windows 10 drivers do? Now, don't worry, I had some words about the AMD side of the driver situation as well. Confusingly, the situation with Radeon drivers is completely different, I wrote. In the majority of cases, the open-source Mesa drivers offer slightly better gaming performance than AMD's proprietary ones. Linux users have less of a maze to navigate there, since these are built in and will update automatically. But are they updating fast enough? Well, if you have a Radeon 7 or even a Vega 56 or Vega 64, probably not. You'll need to add a PPA to get the latest open-source driver that best supports it. But which PPA? And then I listed uh, two of them because those were both options at the time. Is Vulkan included in that? Will the latest version of Ubuntu include that or not? What the heck does stable or unstable mean? Is that dangerous for my system? Who is this Paulo Diaz guy, and can I trust him? And uh, I was, I mean, I was admittedly being harsh, but I was trying to look at using Linux as a brand new user who didn't understand all these acronyms and all these different driver packages and what they do and what they support. And no, I, I had not yet discovered the glory of Pop! OS and the separate NVIDIA ISO that they have. That's We're going to talk about that later. The good news here, though, the, the outcome of this article, it's twofold. Number one, now it's not really a concern. Unless maybe you're picking up a brand new Radeon GPU that isn't really supported in the kernel yet. You might have to wait a few weeks. Sometimes you might have to wait a few months there are, of course, solutions to that, but it's still not a, an easy out-of-the-box solution for the casual user. However, Ubuntu is now slapping the uh, a fairly new NVIDIA proprietary graphics driver straight onto the ISO. Many other Linux distributions are doing this as well, and so we have really evolved from February to now, where I think it is so much easier for your, you know, your typical PC user to just have a great out-of-the-box experience when it comes to graphics drivers. Again, not everyone, but it's become so much easier for the majority of people. The second thing is that I had a lot of people criticize my article 
that was criticizing Linux gaming. And a lot of people made some very fair points, and I, I took those to heart. And that's what led me to kind of expand my journey and go deeper down more rabbit holes and start something called the Linux Gaming Report. Because I wanted to see, how does every major distribution stack up? What is the out-of-box experience like? What's it like when you connect various controllers? What's the performance like across these distributions? What do you have to do to get drivers set up? Are they built in? And uh, that was just so enlightening to me because I really learned so much of the nuances of of every distribution, and, and we'll get to that too. And so we arrive at March 2019, and... As a result of that feedback that I got from the gaming article, I find myself playing with a quirky little distribution called Pop! OS from a boutique PC builder out of Colorado called System76. Stumbling across Pop! OS, and, and by extension System76, changed everything. I mean, you flash forward uh, seven months later... And I'm attending Superfan in Colorado, and I am rocking an Oryx Pro as my daily driver. Um, but it also showed me what's possible. Pop! OS was the first time that I had actually seen a separate ISO installer for NVIDIA graphics users. And not just, not just having the driver on the ISO, but actually running the installer with that NVIDIA driver. And that solves a ton of headaches for people using hybrid graphics laptops. This was the first distribution I'd seen that really reduced uh, user friction by modifying their Steam installer package to include 32-bit and 64-bit Vulkan libraries, which is an extra step that a lot of people have to take. And I've always been very vocal about reducing that user friction, about not having to add a repository, or go into the command line to get set up for gaming. I think that for Linux to become mainstream, or maybe not mainstream, but at least more popular and um, more widely adopted by gamers, everything just has to work out of the box. And on Pop! OS, everything did work out of the box, and it it was really thrilling to discover that. March, though, was also an important month in my journey because it's when I discovered the glory of Bash scripts, and when I started to embrace the terminal a bit more. We were all neck deep into the Fedora 29 community challenge, which was happening throughout March, and I stumbled across this script from a Fedora admin named Tobias. I bet a lot of you have heard of him. And he built this script as kind of a jumpstart on your new Fedora installation. Tobias described it as four years of Fedora installations condensed into my best experience and best effort setup. And this script was a revelation to me. And the way that he set it up, you could uh, simply wget the script itself and then fire it up. And, you know, if you wanted to stay just in open source waters, there was an option for that. If you wanted some uh, more proprietary and non-open source stuff, there was an option for that. So it would install GNOME Tweaks and the Flatpak version of Steam and Transmission and Telegram and FileZilla and Nextcloud and uh, Mumble and Kden Live and Blender and uh, so much stuff. And uh, you could you could kind of filter what you wanted it to install. And it was just, uh, I was so excited by this. 
It took me many, many months to even start writing my own super basic Bash script. But like I said, that's when I started to really understand the power of the terminal. And yeah, maybe it's not required, but man, it's awesome. Timeline, April 17th, 2019. I can't believe I'm writing this Linux article about loving the XFCE desktop environment. Joe Resington, my former co-host over at Choose Linux, he would not shut up about XFCE. He used it on everything. He didn't care about eye candy. He only cared about the fact that it was fast and it was stable. But every time I looked at screenshots of XFCE, you know, even on the official website for it, it looked so archaic like it was something from the days of Windows 2000. And I just I just was so reluctant to even install it and try it. But because I was kind of in this process of challenging myself and trying to learn and discover new things, I said, all right, Joe, fine. I will install Manjaro XFCE on my Dell XPS 13. And oh my God, it screamed on that laptop. There were like app loading times were non-existent, Dragging windows across the screen, it felt so snappy. It felt like I was using an AMD FreeSync monitor. Plus, I'm positive that I was getting at least an hour and a half to two hours more battery life. I was impressed, but I wasn't impressed with how it looked. To be completely fair, I think the Manjaro team did a fantastic job with the way XFCE looks out of the box by comparison to its default appearance. It still was not attractive to me, but I think it was one of the better implementations of uh, XFCE out there. Side note, if you want to see another great execution of XFCE, check out uh, Zorin OS 15 Lite, which came out last month. It wasn't just about learning and, and playing with XFCE. It was the fact that this sent me down yet another rabbit hole. I don't know, we'll call it rudimentary ricing, you know, learning to really customize your desktop and make it look the way you want. And so I just threw myself in, you know, completely blind. I start, I, I installed a different dock. I changed the color theming around the whisker menu. And I did so much stuff. And I, I, I just, I was amazed that I could do this in such a short time. I completely tweaked the way that my XFCE desktop looked. And I was really satisfied with that look. Unfortunately, at the time, uh, there was little to no high DPI support. So it was not a desktop that I wanted to use on my 4K XPS 13. It wasn't a desktop that I wanted to use on my uh, ultra-wide monitor. I gained a lot of experience there, but I didn't come back to XFCE as my, my daily driver desktop. So April was pretty awesome but it did not hold a candle to May 2019. In May, a lot of frustrations that I had were kind of coming to the surface. I wasn't angry. I was just a little bit stuck on how to contribute to the open source community and to Linux in general. I wanted to help out the developers who spend so much time creating this stuff that we love But I had zero programming skills, you know, not even remotely a code monkey, could barely crank out a bash script. It's just not my realm. So I started a conversation with uh, Dustin over at Ubuntu Budgie, and he was the inspiration for an article that I ended up writing called Eight Ways to Contribute to the Desktop Linux Community Without Knowing a Single 
line of code. And this is a quote from Dustin. He said at the time, programming is the carpenter, but you still need the architects, designers, project managers, quite literally, permit people, etc., to make a construction job come together. On the other end of this, Alan Pope shared his origin story with me. And uh, he said, I got involved with Ubuntu in 2006 by answering hundreds of support questions. I'm not a developer. It was a low-impact way to contribute. I got recognition and eventually got a job. And Alan works at Canonical now. So this conversation that started unfolding inspired this article, and it led me to research all of these different ways that people can contribute without having to be in a special kind of field, without having to have any particular expertise. I mean, even if you don't know how to design a logo or don't have a marketing degree or can't, you know, do a a single line of code, there's so much that you can still do and contribute. You might see this pattern starting to emerge throughout 2019 is the article that I research and write kind of creates this uh, this monster. It ignites uh, learning a new thing beyond just, hey, here's these eight things that you can do to contribute. A few minutes ago, I mentioned that I was frustrated. And that specific frustration centered around finding how to contribute to your favorite project. Some of these links and some of these resources are completely buried or non-existent as you go from project to project, as you go from distro to distro. And that's when I learned how to create my first GitHub project. And I guess, in a sense, it, it's, it was my first uh, open source project, even though it didn't really involve any code except for some markdown, which I didn't know until then either. So uh, this was a huge month for me. The core goal behind this GitHub repo was to build an exhaustive wiki page on how to contribute to the Linux and FOSS community. And so within a few months, this thing had, uh, let's see, 21 contributors, 194 commits, and a lot of helpful information. So it was broken down by Linux distributions, by BSD distributions, by desktop environments, by display servers, by desktop and server applications, by programming languages. And uh, there, there are these sections, you know, that, that list how to contribute, how to find how you can get involved. And I actually have some regrets about this. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm okay being open about that because I let the ball drop a bit. I got so busy with, with work and life and learning that this eventually fell to the wayside. But I still think it's a very important project. And there's too much here to abandon it. I'm going to link to this GitHub repo. And uh, maybe we can kind of bring this out of retirement, so to speak. Maybe we can light a fire under it and continue building this thing because it was important to me. And I think that it it could be beneficial to the Linux community as well. But the takeaway was, you know, I, I learned all the different ways that, that we can contribute back to open source. And I learned how to do the GitHub thing. So May was incredible. And, you know, by the end of May... I had really started to get out of my uh, what I would what I would call my Ubuntu bubble. I had done the Fedora Community Challenge and OpenSUSE Community Challenge, 
And I was trying to get some hands-on with the different package managers and the different environments that are out there. But June was pivotal in my Linux journey. I installed Arch, by the way. (laughs) That was June for me, was the Arch Linux Challenge. I've mentioned that I still consider myself a Linux beginner. And certainly back in June of this year, I, I felt like a total Linux noob. So to say that I was a little bit afraid of installing Arch, quote, the right way, was quite the understatement. But I embarked on that journey, and I am so glad that I did. I had a lot of help from the community, granted. I realized how much, uh, how brilliant a resource the Arch Wiki is, not just for users of Arch. It is incredible how many issues and problems the Arch Wiki addresses for every distribution and for a huge range of software. Arch Linux is is kind of like Lego Linux. It's, It's taking all of these different blocks and just creating what you want out of a distribution. And um, Arch is also notorious for three things, being ridiculously customizable, very lightweight, and difficult to install. There is no GUI-based installer. It relies exclusively on the command line to get the OS installed and up and running. So this was a challenge that really lived up to its name. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating for Arch. It's, It's not my daily driver, but I do think it is a really important step for people in their Linux journey. It took me three tries. It took almost an entire day, um, about two hours each try. But I got it on the third try. And those first two tries were jam-packed with so much learning. I got a deeper understanding of how the Linux kernel works and how it interacts with the hardware. And, And I gained this understanding of of certain really important commands that you can run to uh, to kind of query your hardware, and it helped. It helped me research problems. It helped me embrace the command line a little bit more, and it helped me understand both the software and the hardware that were involved and how this was all playing together. I, I cannot stress enough how much this will propel you forward. This is not a trivial thing to undertake. But you will feel, you'll feel it's so rewarding to actually complete the installation successfully and boot into your desktop and know that you did this. You were behind every aspect of the kernel. You were behind the software that got installed. And this is truly a, um, a Linux distribution that in a way is unique to you because you shaped it and you built it. Really just an awesome experience. I I do seriously recommend installing Arch the classic way at least once in your life, even if you never go back to it. So there we are, the first six months of 2019, and uh, some of the most important discoveries and, um, and things that I've learned in the first half of this year. And I alluded to this at the beginning of the show, but... Um, it it's almost it's difficult to explain i actually feel overwhelmed by by recording this episode and and doing the research for it in a good way in a good way 
it did not hit me until last night. And it was just all at once, such a huge impact of, of going through all of my archived articles and, and seeing how much I've done and how much I've learned and realizing, you know, I'm not even remotely tired of this yet. I, I want to do double what I did in, in 2019 next year. I want to do more GitHub projects. I want to write an open source program. Uh, you know, I want to create these awesome bash scripts that, that people can utilize. Like I said, it's, it's difficult to describe. And I, I hope that, I hope that I've done an adequate job of explaining how much variety a person can have in their Linux journey and how much you can learn. And I've, I've really only touched on the highlights. I've barely touched on the constant community interaction, which is, um, which really just lifts me up and, and I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm really just rambling here now. Let me cap this episode by thanking all of the developers, all of the content creators, all of the marketers, the project managers, the community who answers questions on Twitter, everybody who makes the Linux world a better place. And it has absolutely become a better place in 2019. And, you know, I'm only about a year and a half into my journey, but I'm going to be a lifer, folks, because uh, there's nothing like it. There's just nothing like this. Next week, episode 22 will cover the back half of 2019, and it will also be the last episode of 2019. And uh, it's going to kick off with something very special this podcast, <laughs> Linux for Everyone. Uh, on that note, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who subscribes and listens and engages on Twitter and Facebook and email and Telegram and Mastodon and YouTube now. What an incredible community. I know I've said this a few times, but you guys just make this something truly special and uh, make every minute that I'm working on this little project completely worth it. So thanks a lot for listening. And until we speak again next week, take care and take care of each other.